This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, the Mishnah, the first Mishnah, actually before the first Mishnah in Pekka Avos, it says the following. Call Yisrael Yeshlem Chaylik Leilam Hava. Every Jew, no matter who you are, born religious or not religious, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, doesn't matter the difference where you come from. Kol Yisrael, every Jew, Yeshlehem, Chelek, Le'olam Havim. Everybody has a portion in the next world. Now it's a very big mistake that people make, and they think that Ganeiden, heaven, or Chatz Shalom Gehenna, is Le'olam Havim. It is not Le'olam Havim. Le'olam Havim means the world after Mashiach. What's the difference between Ganeiden and Gehenna? And Olam Haba. A lot of people say, like, after a person dies, where does he go? Olam Haba. No, he doesn't. Does not go to Olam Haba. Olam Haba is the world to come. That's the world after Moshiach. What's the difference between Ganeidin and Olam Haba? In Ganeidin or Chatzon Gehenim, the only thing that's there is your Neshama. Not your body. Your body's in the ground. In Olam Haba, in the world to come, the Neshama is back together with the body. So it says, that a person's judged in Kippur when a person dies after the Shiva, after the Shleishim, after 30 days, after the year, and every single year, by a person's yard site, that's why we make a Kiddush, and that's why we learn on the yard site. Every year, a person is judged, his Neshama is taken in front of God, even after he dies, every single year, and he's judged every single year. Now, if the person was judged already so many times, why are you judging him every single year? And the answer is that every year, because of what you did in this world, things happen. Let's say you saved a person's life. So now they have children, they have grandchildren. So 400 years later, great, great, great grandchildren are learning Torah, you're getting credit because you saved that person. God forbid you took someone to a movie, you took someone somewhere to a club, or you took them somewhere and you ended up taking them out of the Torah and out of the doing mitzvahs and they went off the derach because of you, and now their children are off the derach and their grandchildren are off the derach, so they judge you every single year and you get patched every single year. So it's sort of like an investment, putting money into a, into a, into a bank account, and every single year that it makes money, it makes money, so you're judged every single year till Mashiach comes, you judge for what you did in this world. Because everything which we're going to talk about, every action has a reaction we learn in physics. And whatever you have in the physical world is in the spiritual world. So in the physical world, every action has a reaction, right? You've seen that thing with the marbles. You hit it from one side, the one goes out on that side. You hit two from this side, two go out from the other side. We learned that in physics. I don't know how many of you took physics. But anyway, every action has a reaction. Whatever you do causes a ripple effect in the physical world. Well, guess what? In the spiritual world, Every action has a reaction. Whatever you do, it reacts and it causes many different things, many different changes in the spiritual world. So, it's not a world of punishment, it's a world of consequence. And I had a long shit today in my seminary, and I explained to the girls that, you say it's not fair, right? But dropping a glass, if I was to take a glass right now, a nice crystal glass, and drop it on the floor, it will break. You're not going to come to me and say that wasn't fair because if you drop a glass on the floor, the consequence is that it's going to break. When a person does a sin in the spiritual world, there's a consequence 
It's not that Hashem is punishing you. He created this mitzvah has a certain consequence in it. This Avera has a certain consequence. So it's not a punishment. You're getting punished because you did this. You're getting rewarded because you did this. No. It's a consequence. The consequence is if I have a glass of wine, right, and a beautiful glass of wine. So someone in my class asked me today, but didn't Hashem create this world for love and enjoyment and happiness? And I'm like, absolutely. If I give you a glass of beautiful for Shabbos, whatever they give you a, gla- a crystal glass of champagne, right? Delicious, cold, right? And I give it to you, and you throw it on the floor. So are you going to say, Rabbi Wallerstein didn't give me a delicious glass of champagne? I gave you the glass of champagne. The Bechira, the choice that the person has, is what do you do with that glass of champagne? So a lot of us are very angry at Hashem, Why'd you do this to me? Why'd you do that to me? You're mean, you're this, you're that. But what you don't realize is Kaddish Baruch Hu is giving you life. He's giving you the glass of champagne. So do you want to, you want to drink it? You're delicious today. I walked out of class at 1230. It was 71 degrees outside. It was sunny. There were birds. There were trees. It smelled delicious. It was beautiful. It's a glass of champagne. But if I'm going to walk out angry, nasty, because of my business, because of this, because of that, because of jealousy, because of all these other things, and I'm working out, and I'm nasty. So the, the glass of champagne is there. You know, my, my whole idea of Hakaras Hatov, I want to write this book, and we're, we're doing it, um, and, and, and this whole thing that I want on Hakaras Hatov, appreciation. The word Hakaras Hatov, girls, doesn't mean finding good. Hakara means recognizing good. means that everything is good. It's there. You just don't recognize it. So you have to learn, in, in your, with your eyes, how to recognize the good. But the good is there, sort of like, you're always supposed to be happy, but a little bit more happy in, in, in Adar, and a little less, but you're always supposed to be in a state of happiness. You're always supposed to be in a state of faith. You're always supposed to be, there's good all around you. You have to recognize it. You have to have the eye for it. You have to want to recognize it. So you can walk out and say, it's miserable, I have, I have, I have allergies, and how, why does Hashem do this, and why does Hashem, or you can walk out and say, yes, I have allergies, for whatever reason, I'm taking my medicine, but Lemaisa, what's going on right now, why do I have allergies? Because all those trees that were dead a whole winter, in, 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 in a week from now, they're going to have leaves and flowers. So yes, I'm sneezing, but at the same time, the world's coming to life, I have allergies. And I have sinus, I, I went to speak this week, I couldn't speak, I got dizzy, I have sinus infection, and I have allergies, and I was still very happy walking out today because the bottom line is I have allergies but the world's coming to life. So it's not about me. I'm going to deal with my allergies whatever I got to take medicine whatever I got to do but the world's coming to life. Everything, it's beautiful outside. There's flowers on the trees. The, the, the grass is growing. So Hakar Satov doesn't mean finding the good. It means the good is here. It's recognizing the good. So the, it begins before we ever get into Perkei Elbos Every Jew has a portion in the next world. All of us, when we're born, because Baruch is like, he gives us a piece of land, he gives us a piece of property. Now, it's up to you. What do you want to do with that piece of property? You want to hang out and chill, watch television, go to movies, do all that stuff? Now, there's a piece of property that the seeds that you plant in this piece of property are spiritual seeds. Because it's a spiritual property. So if you want to spend your whole life drinking and eating and clubbing and watching movies and, 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 and partying in the physical world, so that, that field that God gave you is laying there fallow. 
You're not planting anything in it. So what's going to happen? Consequence. You don't plant, you get thorns and weeds and bugs and all kinds of animals that are going to dig up your ground and you're going to have nothing at the end of the day. So a smart girl can go out and say, wow, you know, it's, it's all about potential. You, you look at it, it's very interesting. There's a mission in Pekka Elvos. Go off the subject for a second. A mission that I never understood. It bothered me very much. There's a mission in Pekka Elvos that says the following. A person who's learning Torah, you're welcome. A person that's learning Torah and he walks by a field and the field is a plowed, beautiful field, nothing growing on it. Or he walks by a tree and he says, Manoha Ilan Hazer, what a beautiful tree. What a beautiful field. Mishayev Benavshan. He deserves to die. Now when I learned this mission, I'm like, Halavai. That when people would walk by a tree, they would say, how beautiful the tree is. Wow, Hashem, it's amazing. Or an empty field, how beautiful the field is. How could you say, Mishayev Benavshan deserves to die? Doesn't make sense to anyone here. Doesn't make sense. That's what we want. Walk by a tree. Wow, Hashem, beautiful tree. Walk by. And why, of all the things, does the Mishnah pick? I understand the tree. Walk by a tree, and you say, "What a beautiful tree." Uh, an empty field that's plowed. Why would I walk by an empty field that's plowed and say, "What? A, why is that together with a tree?" It doesn't. If you were to give me a metaphor. Of something, of a person walking by something beautiful, you wouldn't tell me, I'd say, okay, tell me a story about someone walking by something beautiful. Oh, Rabbi Wallstein, a girl was walking by a plowed field. I would look at you like, something's very wrong with you. Right? Flowers, tree, right? The ocean, a river, mountains. What's with the plowed field? And the terrace is beautiful. What's the beauty of a tree? And what's the beauty of a plowed field. The beauty of a tree is the potential that the tree has It's going to give fruit, shade, wood for chairs, wood for fire. A tree has probably of one item growing the most potential. An unplowed field is ready for you to plant anything in the field. So the beauty of an unplowed field is potential. So the Mishnah is saying the following. A person who's learning Torah, and he stops learning Torah, and he says, forget the Torah. Look at the potential of that field. Look at the potential of that tree. That person does not understand the potential of learning Torah. He's mischayab of his soul. Because he's not planting anything in his spiritual world. So a nice field, it can grow plants. Nice tree, it's all physical. He's giving up his spiritual field to go ahead and look at the physical field. And therefore the Mishnah says, Mishchai ben And that's what the Mishnah says over here. We all have this field, this, this empty field, that we are able our whole lives to plant spiritual seeds and everybody has that field. There's no person to say, Hashem, you didn't, you didn't give me such a field. How do we know this? Because it says, It says, your nation, they're all tzaddikim. Everybody's born in tzaddik. What happens after that? That's up to you. And that's the beginning of Pekeovos. That's how Pekeovos begins.
And the Mishnah begins like this. The first Mishnah in Pekiyabos. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moshe got the Torah, was Makabal the Torah, from Sinai. That is not true. That is not true. Moshe was not Makabal the Torah from Sinai. Moshe got the Torah on HaSinai. HaSinai didn't give him the Torah. He got the Torah from Hashem on HaSinai. So what is this Mishnah saying? Moshe got the Torah from Sinai. He did not get the Torah from Sinai. It's not true. So how can the Mishnah say this? So the Mephoshim say that the only way to be Makabal Torah is to understand that a person to be Makabal Torah, to get the Torah, he has to have humility. Harsinai was the smallest, teeny, little mountain. It wasn't even a mountain. It was a sand dune. It was a teeny little mountain. And all the other mountains, I have to tell you a story. You know the story. All the other big mountains said, the Torah, I'm the biggest mountain, I'm the tallest mountain, I'm the strongest mountain, I'm the most beautiful mountain, the Torah should be given on me. And, the, and Harsinai, he was the smallest little mountain, he didn't say anything Hashem said. That's where I want to give it. You have to have humility. And I was telling the girls today, who are dating in, in my seminary, that I think the most important thing to look for in a man, to look for in a boy, is anivis, is humility. For some reason, girls don't look for that. Because girls feel, again, I'm not talking for everyone, that if the boy is a strong boy, and it's someone I can lean on, then he's not a guy that's walking around like, Shalom Aleichem. Hi, it's been a pleasure to go out. You know, I was telling them, like, the, I, I, I have a lot of Tamidim, a lot of boys that I teach, right? Now, boys are very different than girls. They, when they like something, they immediately want it. So, so there are these boys that go out, and on the second date, they turn to the girl and say, like, you know, I really like you? Let's get married. And the, right away, the first thing is, the girl says, to the shachin, this is over. <laughs> over. He's a creep. He told me on the second date he wants to marry me. Now, really, that's amazing. He's able to share his feelings with you. He really wants to marry you. He thinks he really likes you. Right? Because we, we decide things very fast. But girls don't like that. They like to wonder if he really likes them. And then on the tenth date... They don't want to go out with him anymore because he didn't say he likes them. So the guys, we go crazy. Like, if we tell them we like them, they don't like that. If we don't tell them that we like them, they don't like that. So I'm like, guys, get used to it. You want to get married? Get used to it. We're very, very different. But the truth is that, that and I don't understand this, and I will never understand it. It's just something that exists, is that, that the very, very, very sweet guy, the real sweet guy with the most perfect meadows, he's really a good guy, no way, he, I'm not going to marry him, rather, well. so I'm like, why not, he's such a, he's one of my best, tell me that he's a sweet, I know, but he's a geek, he's a geek, I'm like, what does that mean, he's too nice, I'm like, don't you want to be married to someone that's too nice, like, isn't that the dream, right, right, you understand, so for some reason, too nice makes you a geek, it's very wrong, and you find out later, Chatzah Shalom, that not, not that you should ever make a mistake, that, that the best man, the best husband, is a person who has humility, who doesn't feel that he did you a favor that he married you, but he feels like, I can't believe that you would marry me. And in the Gedolim, 
you never, if you ever get a chance to talk to a God a little bit personal, he'll tell you, I, I, I don't know why my wife puts up with me. The guys, he's a Golador, Rapam, Golamoshi, the biggest Golador. They're walking around. I don't know why my wife even, like, puts up with me. She's such a Tadekist that she even puts up with me. Now, these are the biggest Golador and Tadekim in the world because they hold themselves to be, they're, they're, they're humble. For a person to be a person that the Torah should absorb, you should, that you, the Torah should be yours, you have to be humble. So, so I had this discussion many times. So it's very, it, you know, Anivis, hum, humble. The worst thing in the world is a big shot. Gaiva, it says that Gaiva smells in the spiritual world. That with it's about Gaiva, Hashem will not go with it's about Gaiva. The whole story with Eliyahu Gaiva stinks. It's, a, it's the worst thing. A guy who thinks he's it, or a girl that thinks he's it, you can't, you can't deal with such people. It's like the worst media, if they ask you, it's the worst media in the world? Gaiva, because Gaiva brings the cost. If I'm a Balgaiva, if you know who, you know who I am, <laughs> you know how I did your favor, I married you, so I have a right to get angry at you. Because who are you to answer me back? Who are you not to listen to me? Do you know who I am? So Gaiva leads to cost. Being a big shot leads to anger, which leads to abuse. So the thing that you have to run away from, is, a, is a, a conceited guy or a conceited girl who think they're it, stay far away. So the, it, the first words in the Mishnah, if you want to be Makabal Taira, it has to be from the idea of Sinai. Smallest mountain, no trees, no bushes, a little teeny sand dune in the middle of the desert, didn't ask for anything. Hashem said, the Taira, it can only be given on such a mountain. You see about Gaiva, and you know that his Taira and his mitzvahs are not real. Gaiva is like the worst Mida that exists. So, what's the opposite of Gaiva? Anivas, humility. There's a question. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest Anav that ever lived and that will ever live. First of all, how could you say that? I want to be a bigger Anav. You know, I want to be, you, you can't, there's no restrictions on, I, you can be bigger than Moshe Rabbeinu. How could the Torah tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu, no matter what you do, Wallerstein, no matter what you do, you will never be as you as humble as Moshe Rabbeinu. So I'm not going to even try. All right, there's a famous story. This guy was in yeshiva, and he was a very famous Musa Seder. And the Musa Seder, he used to he used to walk around the yeshiva those 20 minutes. I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I'm not even a rock. I have the right to be here. I'm nothing. And like everybody was in awe, like he was breaking himself in front of everybody. So, he was there ready for 10 years. He's doing this for like 10 years. This new boy comes to Yeshiva, and he sees this guy's walking around the base medrash. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. He's like, hey, I'm going to do this too. So he goes behind him, and as this guy's walking around, he's like, I'm also nobody, and I'm also nothing, and I'm dirt. This guy turns around and says, what are you, machutzef? He says, what do you mean? He says, it took me 10 years to be such a humble guy. You just think you can walk in here and be like me? Yeah, okay. Those who get it, get it. Those who don't get it, we'll get it. It was a show, it was a show, it was a show. So, so the question is, so the question is, how could Maishu Rabbeinu, how can they make such a statement? Now I have to tell you, you know, I go to weddings and, um, I, if I get a bracha by the chuppah, I get up and, and to go to the chuppah, everybody stands up. The women stand up. Let me put it that way. Well, the guys don't stand up. The women stand up. 
Right, so now you think I don't realize that? I'm a human being. You think I don't know that all the girls stood up? And all the women stood up? So you don't think, all right, hey, you know, the place is standing up for me? You know, that's very cool. Sometimes they think I'm Rabbi Wallerstein. They wait. Shemona Esrei, they don't start Kaddish after Shemona Esrei until I finish Shemona Esrei. So I try, when I see that, I try to finish very fast. I don't want anybody to wait for me. But you think I don't know? What am I, blind? I don't know that people give me respect. Uh, uh, I made a mistake of two years ago. I was eating in Garden of Eden. And, and um, these two girls were sitting next to me. And they were giggling and they were looking at me. And they were giggling and they were looking at me. And I'm like... Come on, it's breakfast. Like, let me, you know. And she's, yeah, that's Rabbi Wallstein, that's Rabbi Wallstein. You know, I hear that all the time. My, 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 my kids always make fun of it, you know. We go sit down at a restaurant and you're like, that's Rabbi Wallstein, that's Rabbi Wallstein. You know, make fun of me, that's okay, right. Did your father say, did he tell stories? Like, wherever you go, like, and my daughters, I know they're friends, are like, you know, is he Rabbi Wallstein's daughter? Yeah. Does he like, like, when he walks through the house, does he tell you stories? You're like, huh? Like, what are you talking about? Like, on Shabbos, is your Shabbos table, like, 12 hours long? <laughs> so they make fun of me all the time. So, you know, it, you need a good woman behind you to keep you from your head swelling. There's an old saying, every great, behind every great man is a great woman that tells him he's not so great. Right? <laughs> like, you know, Aza Kinegda, like, you know, you know, calm down, right? So, but, but Lemaise, so I do know, I do know. So what happened in, in, in this restaurant, so these two girls are Mitzvah, and finally, one of them gets up, she comes over to my table. You're Rabbi Wallstein. I'm like, yeah. She says, I'm from, we're from Cleveland. Oh, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? We listen to all your shiurim. I'm like, keep talking, hello? All right? Um, could I ask you a favor? I'm like, sure. What? She puts a napkin down with a pen. I promise. She says, could you autograph this napkin? <laughs> so I'm, I'm standing there, I'm like, nah, nah, this is a little bit, this is out of hand, right? She goes, of course, she says, I have a friend that listens to all your shiurim. If you would just autograph this napkin for my friend. Now, I made a, I made a very big mistake. And I said to her, it was a big mistake, and, I, and she's listening to this year. I asked her, Mechila, it bothered me since then. I said to her, Excuse me, I'm a Rebbe. Rebbeim don't do autographs. I'm not a, a rock star, and I'm not an athlete. I don't do autographs. And this poor kid, it was the wrong thing to say. It was just the wrong thing to say, because until she got the nerve, until she got to ask me, I said, it's a big deal, so I'll sign it, whatever you want. Like, what do I care? But I, I, I broke her spirit. She got the nerve, she asked me, and I sort of sort of gave her muscle, like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm a Rebbe, I'm not a... I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, what's that guy's name? Bieber, whatever his name is, you know? Right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a television actor, like, you know, you're making it chol. I'm a rebel. You're making it to chol. You're making it to something. And, and I didn't sign it. I didn't write it. And, um, I had, happened to have had a CD. I gave the CD. I said, give this to your friend, whatever it was. But it was wrong because what's to be, I should have signed it. But you think I don't realize as a person, I don't realize that these girls asked me for a signature for an autograph. Do you think I walked out of there and said, eh? You're a nobody. You know, some girl from Cleveland just asked you for an autograph. So then, so then, right off, and you're a big shot. So you're Valgaiva. So if you know that, so then how could you be modest? Good question. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that Orpheus' face came alight? That he had to wear a mask? Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know that he went into Shemayim for 40 days. He didn't eat or drink. And he sat and he talked to Hashem. He didn't know that? Of course he knew that. So how could you tell me now, Moshe Rabbeinu was the biggest, most modest person. He knew where he was at. 
And the answer, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is simple. You think girls are standing up for me at a chuppah? They're not standing up for me. If I wasn't a Rebbe, if I wasn't teaching Torah, if I wasn't giving shiurim, and I was just Zach Wallerstein, and I walked into a wedding, nobody's not, no, not only is nobody standing up, but the little kids that are in the seat are not even getting up and say, you can have my seat. So why is somebody getting up if, if I'm walking down to the chuppah to give a bracha? Because I teach Torah. So you're not getting up for me. You're getting up for the Torah that I teach. That's why when a Rebbe walks into a room, you're supposed to stand up. So a person has to realize no matter what position, a great athlete. Now, I've been a sports fan for a very long time. There are very conceited athletes, and there are athletes that are very humble. What's the difference? Why is one athlete, they're both superstars, one guy thinks he's God's gift to the world, and the other guy's like, you know, any kid, whatever you want, I'll give you an autograph, you know, I'll give you my shirt. And the other guys are like, stay away from me, I don't give any autographs. Charles Barkley, he got up and said, I'm not an example for kids. Don't learn anything from me. Right? And he was a big superstar. Manashtana, what's the difference? The difference is if you ask them, these two guys, so how'd you become such a good ball player? So the guy that's conceited, who doesn't want to give autographs, who thinks he's it, doesn't matter an actor, doesn't matter who he is, he'll tell you, how did I, I become a great ball player? I have a gift. I'm a gifted ball player. I just have it. That's a Balgaiva. The other guy's going to say, God gave me this gift. I'm a natural because God made me a natural. That guy understands that he himself is nothing, but that he was born with the ability to be a musician, to be an actor, to be a, a ball player, to be whatever he is. This is a God's gift. I have God's gift. When you say I have God's gift, you become very small. Do you realize that it's coming from a greater being than you? So that I'm not, I'm not anybody. I am lucky enough that God gave me this gift that I am a great athlete or a great singer. This voice that I have was given to me by God. Wow! Am I anything? No! God wouldn't give me this gift. I wouldn't be able to sing. Moshe Rabbeinu knew because he was so close to Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he was nothing. The perfect example right now, I'll just give you an example right now. If I take my hand and I put it in front of my face, I am covering that whole camera, that whole tripod, and pretty much most of that table. If I go like this, I got the whole table. Now my hand is six inches. That table is four feet. That tripod is four feet off the ground. How could six inches cover a camera? If you're outside walking tomorrow, and the sun is in your eyes, you put your hand up, you are blocking the sun. I don't know, I think I remember something about the sun being 96 million miles in diameter, something like that. Crazy number. So how could my six-inch hand cover the sun? Now, only a fool is going to say, my hand is as big as the sun. <laughs> but the truth is, your hand can cover the sun. If it's in your eyes, you can put the sun, right? You can be laying at the beach, sun's in your face, you put your hand up, no sun. How can that be? And the answer is because we're so far away from the sun, the sun becomes smaller and smaller and smaller the further we go away from it. So therefore, I'm so far away from the sun that my six-inch hand can cover the sun. But as I get closer to the sun and closer to the sun and closer to the sun, the sun gets bigger. My hand doesn't get smaller, but the sun gets bigger. And if you would come right up to the sun, a human being wouldn't even be a speck in the diameter of the sun. 
Moshe Rabbeinu was the closest person that ever got to God. Therefore, he knew that he was the smallest thing in the whole world. And being that God never spoke to anyone else, pe or pe, mouth to mouth, Moshe Rabbeinu had to be the biggest honor that ever be because he was the closest to Akash Baruch. So Akash Baruch was the biggest object to him, which made him the smallest object. So, you could be the greatest Rebbe in the world and everybody could want your autograph. You could be the greatest ball player and you know you're a great ball player and you know, right? And people are like, wow, what? At the end of the day, when you sit on your bed at night, you're like, God, <laughs> what am I? I'm nothing. You can take my life in one second. You can stop me from talking in one second. You can take me away from all my money in one second. I'm nothing. So in comparison to God, I'm a nobody. That's humility. Because when you walk around and you understand that it's all coming from, from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, everything's coming from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, then you realize that you're a nobody. So when people can stand up, and that's why Gedalim, they come into a room, everybody stands up, they get the bracha under the chuppah, everyone's waiting for them for Shishman. So how could that rabbi not be full of himself? And the answer is, like, what is, what is this all coming from? It's all coming from because I'm teaching Hashem's Torah. So really, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. But on the other hand, I know that I have the power to change the world. Humility doesn't mean lack of self-esteem. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Chas v'shalom. That would be very bad. Everyone should be, everyone should be depressed. We should all have no self-esteem. No, humility means that I realize that I have the strength, I have the ability to change the whole world. But I only have that ability because it's God's gift to me. It's not me. It's nothing to do with me. It's God's gift to me. I don't have any money. But if someone walks over to me and says, here's a million dollars, I am now a millionaire. I didn't make the million dollars. But someone gave me a gift, that million dollars. We all have a gift from Hashem that we have life. Every single person in this room has a God-given gift. You have to figure out what it is. Life is the, is the first gift that we all have. But everyone even has a special gift in their backpack. That everybody has to, has to. Everyone has a chaylet wa'alam haba. Everyone has that peace. Everybody has a peace that they can plant spiritual seeds and grow anything. You just have to get in touch with it. So Moshe Kibel Torah Mishinai. Moshe Rabbeinu was the biggest of the big, but he was the biggest of understood that his whole Kabbalah, his whole Kabbalah Satayra, which is coming up on Shavuos, Malchus Shabbamalchus, is coming from HaKadosh Baruch If you understand that, then you're not a big shot. Then you have humility. And if once a person has humility, then he understands that everything, nothing's coming to him. That's the problem today. Everybody thinks that everything's coming to him. So my wife is not coming to me. She, she, she's married to me. That's amazing. I'm just in the middle of preparing a shir. I'm not, I'm not there yet. On a whole medrash that, that, that when Adam and Chava were created, they were created as one. Back to back. They were back to back. That's how we were created. The woman was on the back, the man was on the front, and the two heads. Right? We were back to back. And Hashem said, that's not good. A man cannot live alone. What do you mean he didn't live alone? She was on his back, literally. And she stayed there forever. But I'm saying, but no, I'm kidding. But she was on his, she was, mama, she was on his back. So what was the problem? Why did Hashem have to split them? And the answer is that someone on your back, they were, they were actually on each other's back. She, she, he was on her back, she was on his back. They could never see each other. So an Azer connector, for me to help the other person, I have to be able to see them. So every time I turn, if I turn, and then you turn, I'm turning towards you. If someone's on my back, you know, take to me. So if I turn this way, the other person's turning that way. So every time I turn this way, they're turning the other way. Every time I turn this way, they're turning the other way. That doesn't work, said Hashem. That's not a marriage. You have to be able to face each other. 
So Hashem put them to sleep and split them, so that they're able to they're able to see each other. Ezer kenegdoi. That's that's what a person to help another person. If you Ezer, and sometimes you have to tell the other person that you're not doing what's correct and you need to grow. Now, someone who's full of themselves, they're not going to listen to you. You're telling me. You're telling me. Do you know who I am? So, the number one ingredient in relationships is that a person has to be an honor. And that's how the mission of Pekel was the first mission of Pekel that starts off. Moshe Kivel Tyra Mishina. Moshe was Mechavel Tyra Mishina. Now, they bring down, they said three things. Having Mesunim Adin, should be careful. Halacha, Emilu Tamidim Harbei. You should. Now, this is also very interesting in Chinach. It says, especially for the teachers that are in the room, Hemidu Tamidim Harbei. What does that mean? You should stand up many students. It should say, you should teach many students. Hemidu mean? You should stand them up? What does that mean? I think it's a very big mistake in Chinuch. It's been forever. So a lot of us teach our kids in schools. You know, you have a test tomorrow. Memorize, 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 memorize. You're up till 4 o'clock in the morning. Memorize, memorize, memorize. The mission is telling us, Hemidu means that you should be, they should be able to stand on their own. They shouldn't even need a Rebbe. You need to teach your students how to learn Chumash. How to understand the Hebrew words in Chumash. What Rashi is trying to say. It's not good enough to teach Talmidim. Because, okay, so whatever I'm teaching you, you're going to walk out of here, you're going to know. But you can't go home tonight and open up a Chumash and learn on your own. I'm not going to be with you all your life. I can't walk around with you all the time. How are you going to learn on your own? So there are a few yeshivas that teach boys how to learn tomorrow. They spend years... Third, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, teaching the kids, not tomorrow, diktuk. What does this word mean? What does that word mean? How do you know it's a question? How do you know it's not a question? Now all of a sudden, when this kid's in 10th grade, he doesn't need his bread. He can tomorrow. He'll make a laning, and he can learn everything. Same thing with a girl. There are a lot of girls that know whatever subject they learned in seminary or in high school, they know it by heart. I know Shira Shira by heart, but they had a test. I know Shira's Devorah. By heart, they had a test on Shira's Devorah. But if I gave you another piece of Navi to learn, and you opened up the Navi, I don't know what this means. So Hamidu Talmidim Harbe means to teach your students to give them the ability to stand on their own. And I am very much in the chinuch that my father gave me, and the chinuch that I've learned, whether not even as a teacher, but even as a parent, you have to help your children to be able to stand on their own. You can't always be there. Always be there, always be there. Because then when you're not there, they're going to fall on their face. You have to let them fall once in a while and learn how to get up. You can't baby them too much because when they go into the real world, they don't know how to handle it. And Nidu tell me them how to Teach them. What does it say? Don't hunt for them. Teach them how to hunt. Because they're going to hunt for them. Every time you go hunting, you're going to bring home meat. But your children are not going to know how to hunt. If you teach them how to hunt, then they're going to be able to go out on their own and bring home meat. It's a, not a Jewish saying. It's like, don't hunt for them, but teach them how to hunt. That's, that's, that's a very important thing. And I think that we, we do this, especially in this generation. We're very worried, we're very worried. And we, we, we don't let our kids grow muscle. We don't let them go through anything. So when they have to go through things in life, they fall flat on their face. They have no idea how to deal with it. They have no coping skills. We don't teach them coping skills. We're like, we'll take care of it, we'll take care of it. Oh, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it, I'll take care of it. Hello? If you, if you drive someone all the time to wherever they need to go, they don't know how to drive. And then all of a sudden, they need to drive somewhere, they don't know how to drive. So that's why the Mishnah says, you need to, to 
help when you, when you, whether it's your Talmidim or your children you need to help them stand on their own there's another subject that I spoke about today I think that it just, I, went off, I went off the subject matter very much but I think it's very very important so we're talking about Gilgulim in my class um, and the girls like to always they know that if I, I start on a subject and they go off a little bit I end up for an hour totally on a different subject so they do that on purpose I'm beginning to catch on it's already nine months into school I'm beginning to catch on a little bit so we're talking about Gilgulim now Gilgulim um, it's not a subject that I'm going to get too deep into, but we, uh, not, no one in this room is a new soul. We are, everyone, everyone here, and I've said this many times, last time you were in this world, you weren't very bad. If you were very bad, you'd be in Gehenna. You wouldn't be here. You also weren't very good. If you were very good, you'd be in Gehenna. So you're not in Gehenna, and you're not in Gehenna, you're here with me. So I wasn't very good or very bad either. I am in the same boat as all of you. Which means that we were baiting them. We were not great, not bad. We were in the middle. We're back here to fix whatever we didn't finish last time we were here. And that's Gugulim. It says most Nishamas have four to five Gugulim. It could be a thousand years apart, 500 years apart, depending on what your Gilgul is. But all the Chachamim say that in the Ikhlas of the Meshichah, which we're in right now, there's only... 6,000 years in this world and we're at 5,773 so if you do the math what's left 227 years Mitzvah Hashem I hope that everyone here will live at least another 70 years so there'll be only about when you leave this world there'll only be about 150 years left to the world so you're not coming back in Gogol this is it this is your last time here your fourth or your fifth or whatever it is this is your last time here you're not coming back again so the girl asked me the girl asked me so, I don't understand, coming back, going back, coming back, going back. What, what's, what's this all about? So I so said, I just want to tell you one thing, and you all need to know this, because we are in the last Gilgul of the world. And that's why there's some there's divorces, and there's young people that die, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on, because when there was time for Gugulim, so there was time for Neshama to come back, fix this, then come back in 400 years, fix this, and then come back in 500 years and fix this. We don't got that anymore, so you got to fix everything. There's a lot of craziness in the world. There's a lot of stuff going on. And it's very fast. So I said, I want you to understand the responsibility of every person in this room, including me. We're the last Gilgul. Okay, so what's the big deal? We give the last Gilgul. I said, do you ever watch the Olympics? So there's a thing called the relay race. The relay race is four people. Each one runs a mile, then they hand the baton or whatever they hand over to the next one, and they run. How do you win? The last runner, the fourth runner... When the first one of those fourth runners that come across the winning line, that's the winner. Now sometimes, USA, by the time the fourth runner gives it over, they're three seconds behind everybody else, right? So that last runner is always the fastest runner. Because that last runner is the most important runner. She's got to make up the time. She's the one that's going to win it or lose it. Everybody in this room, you are that runner. You are the fourth runner in the relay race. You are the last Gilgul. So no matter where your neshama is and where it's up to, you are the last mile runner. You have to make up. And if you win, then you won for all the Gilgulim that you were here till now. And if you lose, you lose for all the Gilgulim that are here till now. Oyulam Haba is no guarantee. In fact, the people in Ganeiden are judged. When Mashiach comes, 
they're judged in Ganeiden if they should come back to this world. Olam Haba means the next world. The next world is the is the spirit and the body comes back together. Ganeiden is only spirit. There's no body. So it says that even when Mashiach comes, there will be people left in Ganeiden that will not come back to this world. They'll be spiritually alive in Ganeiden, but they will not come back to this world. So it's up to this Gilgal. It's up to everyone in this room. You're the last runner in the relay race to run as hard as you can. Because if you make it and you fix what you're here for, then the whole other Gilgulim, all the three or four Gilgulim before, will end up coming to the world to come it's up to us it's very it's, it's not fair it's very hard but at the end of the day Wallerstein's got to come across that finish line because if I don't fix what I did last time there's no more fixing I'm stuck there's no more there's no Olam Haba for me so all the things I've done till now and all the fixing and losing and everything I've done till now I'm the last runner holding the baton I got to make it I have to make it. And everyone who's watching this and listening tonight has to know you are the last runner in this relay race of life. You have to win. There's nothing after you. You are the last runner. You have to make it. That's a big responsibility. At the same time, when you come across the finish line, you want it. You want it for the other three. Everybody has a piece. Everybody has a chance to run through. Everybody, all Gilgulim, all the times you were here, have a chance to go to Olam Haba. Why? Because I'm a Kulam Tzadikim. Because everybody's a Tzadik. Everybody's a runner. Everybody has a chance. So, I read in a book, we'll pick a, this book over here actually, um, which is a beautiful book. If you don't have it, we'll pick a Makshava. Um, which was written by Rabbi Israel Talver. An amazing, and amazing book. I want to read you a Gemara. The Gemara says like this. Ula said, let Mashiach come, but I don't want to see him. Rabba said, let him come, but I don't want to see him. They said that the times of Mashiach are so bad that they didn't want to live. They didn't want to live in the times of Mashiach. Rabbi Yosef said, let him come, and may I merit to sit next to his donkey's manure. Now we know that Mashiach comes on a donkey, right? So he said something very interesting. What, what, is that, what does that mean? He wants to sit next to the donkey's manure? Mashiach's donkey's manure? What, how do you explain that? Humility. So Rabbi Israel Tower says an unbelievable story. He says, he was on a plane, and the plane landed, and he ended up going to a hotel. And he was, this is a very big tzaddik, Rabbi Zio Tal was a very big tzaddik. And he doesn't go to hotels. But he had no choice. The plane landed, emergency landing, and he was stuck in a hotel. And he comes into the hotel, and he wants to learn the Dach Yaimi. He comes into his bedroom, into the room, and he wants to learn the Dach Yaimi. So he sits down at those little tables, he takes out his Gemara, but he's so tired from the trip that he just can't learn. He's sitting there, and he just can't learn. And he thinks to himself, look what happened to me. I can't even learn. My father and my grandfather went through the Holocaust. They were able to learn in Auschwitz. They were able to learn in a Holocaust. And I'm sitting in a hotel and I can't learn. Look how far I am from God. He says, 
I was heartbroken. And then, he said, I came to a different conclusion. In front of me was a large gray screen. He said, I realized what, what Rav Yosef said. He said, I was sitting next to this television, called it a large gray screen. He said, I was sitting next to the donkey's manure. I was sitting in the times of Mashiach. What's in the times of Mashiach? The screen, right? The internet, the DVD screen, the television screen. That's the manure. He said, I was sitting next to that. And he said, I knew that by merely pressing a button, I could sink into the sea of entertainment. I could see indecent and improper things. He said, but then I said in my heart, listen to what he said. I have to read this inside. He said, I said within my heart, God, perhaps I cannot give you the daf yomi. I cannot give you my Torah learning. I cannot give you the aseito, do good, as my fathers and ancestors gave you. But God, I have a wonderful gift to give you tonight. Something that my ancestors, with all their righteousness and purity, were unable to give you. I give you this button. My, my ancestors did not have the bad that I am confronted with. So I, and only I, can give you that which even the greatest tzaddikim of the generations never gave you. I give you this button that I will not push. I will sit here with a television screen in front of me and I will not push that button. Even the tzaddikim never had a button to push that would sink them in one second into this sea of znus, of terrible immorality. They never had such a button standing in front of them. I do. So you know what I give you tonight, Hashem? I don't give you the daf I can't learn tonight. My head's not there. But I give you this present, this button. I, don't, I will not touch it. I will not turn it on. I will not turn my computer on tonight. I will not turn on my Facebook. I will not turn on my movie. That! My, Abraham Avinu never had that, Nisoyen. He never had a button that he could push. And it would, it would stoop him into this filthy world in one second. Abraham Avinu never had such a button. I have such a button. Hashem, I'm giving you that button. I'm driving by this movie theater. I'm not going in. My great-grandfather in Europe didn't have a movie theater to go into. I'm living in a generation of technology. That's my present to you, Hashem. My present to you is something that all the generations and all the Gilgulim and everything before me, they did not have this to give to you. That is what I am giving you. We are all here. This is our last chance. We are running that track with that baton in our hand. And we need to know that sometimes we just need to run a little faster. And if we can make it across that finish line, then we're, we're schlepping all our Gilgulim, all our past, the last 4,000, 5,000 years, we're schlepping that all, and we're bringing it across the finish line, and we're bringing it there first. And we have to know that we can all do that, and that we live in this world, and no, we can't give our Kurdish Baruch Hu, our Sarah and we can't give him fasting 40 days straight. I can't give that to you, Hashem. I'm not on the level of, I can't give you a carbon in the base of Migdash. There's no base Hamigdash. But what's the carbon in the base Hamigdash, girls? You took an animal and you brought the base Hamigdash. You said, I deserve to be killed like this animal. Instead of me being killed, I'm giving you the animal. You have a much bigger sacrifice than an animal. To go home and have a computer screen where you can go anywhere and say, I am sacrificing this. I'm not going there tonight. I'm not watching this. I'm not looking at this. I'm not doing this. That's a much bigger sacrifice than a carbon than taking an animal here and try and check it. You're shifting it. You're the carbon. You're the cayenne. 
You're the Kayan, you're carbon. You're I'm sacrificing my entertainment. I'm sacrificing what I want. I'm sacrificing talking to this guy or whatever I want. I'm sacrificing that for you, Hashem. It's not an animal. Me, it's me. I'm sacrificing me. Could be revealed power to much bigger carbon. And that you can give Hashem. You can't go to a base of Midrash. You, you don't have a client today. And you don't have a carbon. You're the client. The house is the base of Midrash. And the carbon is giving up all this marishka and all this stupidity that the Yitzhahara is selling us. All this stuff that he's selling us and telling us how important it is. To say no, I always told you, saying no is, is freedom. Everyone thinks in America saying yes is freedom. Yes, you can do this. The only thing a slave can't say is one word he can't say. No. A slave can never say no. He's a slave, he has to do it. So who's the free man? The man that can say no. That's the free man. So my brachta to everyone here tonight, that you should build a beautiful, beautiful palace on your piece of land that you'll be able to live in when Mashiach comes in Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.